0: Hello, Spacers, from Austin, Texas, I'm Christopher Schmidt, on today's show, I'm joined by Lauren Golombeski. She's a product design director and co-founder of Voxable, which builds conversational bots and voice interfaces. Before we get started, some notes on where I'll be and some words from our sponsors. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I try to be funny in spite of my many, many typos. I'll also be emceeing the SAS Summit. It's a full-day virtual front-end UX design conference that you can attend anywhere online while you use a good internet connection, uh, modern browser, or an, an app. Uh, you can find more at sassummit.com. And if you can not attend full-day, all the presentations about responsive typography, uh, building a design system, uh, integrating animations into a living style guide, and all that great stuff that we're talking about, uh, you'll definitely get free recordings when you register. So register now at sassummit.com. For the Non-Breaking Space show, you can set it and forget it so you never miss an episode with our newsletter. So whenever a new show comes out, you'll be notified right away via email. So sign up today at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find show notes and links at nonbreakingspace.tv. So if we talk about it, you probably find it in our show notes at the website. Nonbreakingspace.tv, and thank you for subscribing commenting liking and telling others about the non-breaking space show please keep your hands inside the moving vehicle at all times on with the show well uh welcome to the show uh just just welcome for being here and then uh I first, heard of, I, you're in Austin, Texas, right now. So, yes. yeah. uh, I, I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, I had not heard of you until I went to the uh, talk about conference, and uh-huh. uh, your bot was mentioned, or was was on the. I'm not sure you talked about the bot actually, because I had to uh, deck away for for some of the conference. But the bot that was that I saw about was, I love the idea so much that I said like I have to go find out more about this bot. Because it was so uh, uh, interesting in terms of culture and stuff like that, too. But I also wanted to talk more about, about your background as well. Um, because I found, like, because I did some research, like, wow, this is cool, so great. First question we always ask is, like, how did you get into the web? Like, what was your first exposure to the web? And how did you get into building things for the web?
1: Yeah. So um, I went to school for graphic design. So notably, not focused on the web specifically. Um, I think then the idea of a web job was not as exciting as the job of like in a publication or in um, a, a packaging design or book design type of job. Um, but that was, I think, more based on the focus of my professors. Um, and out of school, I graduated in 2009. So it was like the peak of the financial crisis. And I was kind of unsure if I would get a job or where I would get a job. And I started looking from like right where I'm from, Pittsburgh, because I was like, you know, if anything, I can live with my parents, it's going to be easy for me to look for jobs. And I actually sent out just a bunch of different like portfolio pieces, uh, like a little design out to several companies in Pittsburgh. One of them landed and it happened to be a digital agency. So this digital agency was really my first introduction to the web. And it was called Sun King. Um, and then they kind of morphed and split into a couple different agencies. Um, and I stuck with the agency called This Is Red, Um which was kind of the the one born out of there, uh, but we focused on building digital products for companies, digital marketing products, um, a lot of animations and videos, and a lot of websites, microsites, like fun sites. We were still doing Flash back then, um, and Flash was still some of the stuff I had to. Uh, was designing within um, but it quickly moved in that time frame to like web 2.0 and that's when web started getting really exciting Um, but there is where I met my first like mentors and colleagues uh, that were really great designers in uh, just web the web space they were really interested in user experience which was kind of even was less heard of than having specific user experience roles or even a process that enveloped user experience but I the designers that were there were became like really good friends and um, we're still in contact today and so there's still people who've kind of I talked to a lot about industry things um, but that was my introduction to the web and and when um, and I think I kind of grew to really loving it and really, Wanting more than um, working on digital marketing campaigns, and I wanted to build products or be at least a part of that uh, that type of process. So I interviewed out of that uh, position. I interviewed with Thinktiv, um, which is here uh, is a company that's based in Austin, Texas, and at the time they had a Pittsburgh office. Um, one of their founders had moved to Pittsburgh and wanted to start tapping into the tech scene, um, and that was. They're a venture accelerator, so they build um, startup companies and they help startup companies build their first products, their second products, their, you know, kind of big growth um, opportunities. Um, And so
0: that's where I... So they they actually work with people who have the ideas to build the products? or Is that it? Or are they 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 hired to do it?
1: They work with CEOs. So it's kind of, um, it's an agency that... A CEO or a CTO or a CMO, um, and even director level type people would hire Thinktive to build out their product instead of building an internal product team. Or in addition to um, in addition to their in-house product team, they may want to build a new product or a new opportunity, and so they would hire uh, a company that Thinktive would give them like product design, user experience, and. Technology um, and maybe you know not all of those things at once. Um, and thinkative's model actually includes the idea of like a portfolio companies. So in companies that they're much uh, closer with um, and much more part of the growth and evolution of, um, where they will sit on a they'll have a board seat or they will help um, with pitch decks and in getting investment and uh, Thinktiv will actually split some of the service cost for equity. So um, they have several um, portfolio companies in Austin um, that uh, have have been successful as well. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so jumping there was really, like jumping onto Thinktiv was what really got me um, most of my product design experience um, initially, and that was really great because... The, a lot of the guys at Thinktive um, went to Carnegie Mellon, and they actually worked in Austin for Trilogy, um, which a lot of people who've been in Austin for a while have heard of.
0: I have not. I have. I it was know.
1: a it was a big tech company uh, during the first dot com boom, so um, it was successful, and it, it brought a lot of talent to Austin, and a lot of talent that has remained in Austin. So. Um a lot of the founders and um executives I think are from trilogy um or origin or had some hand in in being part of the trilogy team.
0: Okay. okay. And that first wave, like what what year or years would that be? You oh gosh,
1: I don't even know. Um I'm I'm thinking like late late nineties, early two thousands. Okay.
0: okay, cool. I just, just um, okay, cool.
1: Um but you know, so they, they have a lot of talent, and the founders were very design focused, user experience focused. Um, so that was a big they, they put design first in the company, which was really interesting because that was kind of one of my uh, one of the things I had been frustrated about to that point was that technology wasn't nece- like technology design and website design um, wasn't necessarily putting design first unless it was, you know a marketing. Um a marketing type of effort, but then you weren't getting really good technology on the back end, so it was like it was a trade off It was like either you're doing something that's somewhat flashy but maybe has a horrible user experience and doesn't have great engineers behind it um or you're doing something that is pretty utilitarian, but they and they want to focus on good engineering, but they don't necessarily want to invest in design um and I think that was you know early in the web and the technologies involve uh, evolution. And I had come from Pittsburgh, which um was well, being in Pittsburgh, uh, there was a lot less focus um on tech and tech design. Uh this the tech industry there is definitely ramping up and burgeoning and continues to do so. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah. Um but uh but I hadn't really seen that view of Pittsburgh until I had gone, <laughs> until I had joined Thingsift, really, until I saw people building products um, and wanting to and, and realizing that design was not just a nice to have, but it was right. a strategic decision that you were making. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really like my, and that's where I fell in love with user experience and actually thinking about how users thought and building out you know, very structured paths for the user to experience a product. Um, it really was my first introduction in dealing with products as opposed to just uh, like, uh, marketing websites, um, Marcom websites. (laughs) And, uh, and so that's what, um, I, I, where I fell in love with the web.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So when was the last time you've done a print project? If I might ask.
1: Oh, geez. Um, well, actually for Voxable, when we were first starting, we were attending some conferences and, uh, we made like a one sheet that yeah. we got. From it. So yeah. I was, I <laughs> like a little one sheet handout that we could hand, hand out to people. that gave them a little bit more introduction into what we did. And I was so excited to actually, well, and business cards. There's always business cards when you end up working for companies. So, um, but actually going, um, actually while at Thinktiv, uh, before that we worked on a, um, company for a bit that had some consumer packaged goods as a part of their technology offering. And we, uh, I got to actually like manage the print process of getting labels printed. Um, and a lot of it's standardized. um, especially when you're dealing with startups, you're, unless, um, unless the startup is directly focusing on, uh, revolutionizing a particular consumer package good, you're likely not designing new dies, like die cuts and things like that. So you're picking from a catalog of, you know, somewhat standardized things, um, which was not my perception of it when I was in school. (laughs) I thought everything was completely custom and wonderful. And, um, that, only exists if you have a very, very large budget, um, or very high quantity.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We I went to school for craft design and I have not, uh, um, whenever there's a print project that rolls in here, like it's usually something that we, we're, we're working on like, or like our t-shirts. So, or something like that. It was just like, we were like, there's a, uh, between my partner and I, we have like, we, we scramble to get input in like, cause it's like, Oh, print. Like a physical project product. Oh my god!
1: It's a little scarier because it's so final. Like yeah. going on, it feels a lot more intense. Um, right. Going press checks then and being like, okay, this is if I, I have to make this decision and really only get to make it once, or else I really have to pay for it. Um, and that idea isn't. It's it's not gone like that. You don't lose that on the web, but the cost of changing things is so small, so much smaller that you, that of feeling of anxiety doesn't quite uh hit the same way
0: (laughs) that's exactly the reason why i jumped to web from print because i was just like uh this is way back when dinosaurs ruled earth but uh, that was uh that's when i jumped on the web because i was just like let me get this straight if i screw up a a blue sheet correction i probably still have to eat the cost but i can just make a typo correction and upload it to to the server like okay let me just uh Yeah, let me go back and fix that. And
1: no one even has to notice. Like you can find that and change it, and
0: your
1: your uh, your your team or your client doesn't necessarily have to catch it. Like you can make all those changes um, without having to say, "Hey, we have to get this reprinted," or um, "Remember those booklets that were delivered to you? Like there's a new shipment coming." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's why I, I think coming into the space in 2009 Mm -hmm. um, was like really shaped my view of the world because being at the like point where like the economic downturn was happening, Mm -hmm. I think that's really when like designers at, you know, big publications and editorial design was like really dwindling at a high rate. And I think it was both because of the economic downturn as well as like how quickly things were changing at that time. Like Facebook had been around for several years at that point and at that point I think they had actually opened it up to more than just college students and it was really growing and expanding and I just saw that like most of the fun stuff was happening on the web mm-hmm. and that like really to get into um kind of traditional design was going to be a harder game to play um it was gonna ha- I was gonna have a lot more competition with people that had more experience and so I it was somewhat of an economic decision as well as, uh, at least initially, that I thought it was just a more valuable market to be in.
0: Have you been to Pittsburgh lately? Have you have you seen the tech scene since then? Since, uh, you, you've been here in Austin for about two years now, is that right? Or
1: I've been in Austin for four years, oh, okay. almost so, four years. So your website uh, needs to be
0: updated. I just want to yes. let you know that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so it's a perpetual the way, issue with uh, yeah. designers um yeah. only update update when you're okay, looking years. for work yeah, I do need to um better manage that but um I'm
0: putting the blame on you and not my research that's what I'm trying to do sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely <laughs> um no I've actually seen like a couple of things like my even like my skype profile and other things that I'm like, oh there's too many touch points to almost manage um that you're not constantly thinking of that right. aren't the high traffic ones right. that, that need updated um but i ha- I have been back to pittsburgh my almost my entire family lives mm-hmm. there cool. um still so i go back pretty frequently i don't get to dive into like texting events as much but i definitely still follow twitter accounts and facebook accounts of um companies there and it's the tech scene is definitely growing and maturing. So, um, even in just in, in our space where we're working on, um, conversational interfaces, there's a company in Pittsburgh called conversant labs who was doing cool things. And we noticed them because they were doing an Alexa meetup, an, an Alexa dev meetup and just happened to notice it. And so I was like, Oh, Hey, these guys are in Pittsburgh. Um, but generally from like a more cultural perspective of Pittsburgh, having lived there and in the city, um, I'm originally from a suburb of Pittsburgh, but I lived in the city while I was um, working there. Uh, yeah. I know that know, every time I go out with friends and experience the culture there, like there's so many more new restaurants and things to do and see and events. Um, and just generally what I've noticed is that there's more young people there. So there's more people who are staying there after college because there's some pretty big and notable universities that exist in, in Pittsburgh. And a lot of what had been happening before was that a lot of people would get jobs in the Bay Area or even in Austin. Um, A lot of companies would get funding, even if they started originally in Pittsburgh or started out of CMU and were concentrated in Pittsburgh while they were there in college, um, the funding would move them away. So it would move them out of the city. And so I think that there's more more young people that are staying there after college. There's more talent, just tech talent, that is staying there. And I think as the funding um, the funding kind of grows and, and moves to focus on, um, funding technology companies, then, uh, that helps to keep companies there as well. So it's certainly being, it's certainly growing and, um, it's a lot bigger than when I left there four years ago. And there's a lot more companies that are doing, um, great things out of Pittsburgh. And I think that also, um, there's even as we move towards like a more remote culture where you don't necessarily have to be in the same town as your advisors or board members um, and that there's less of a focus on that. There's I think there's less interest of companies or um, venture capitalists to actually move companies into different markets. And I certainly understand that there's a lot of other different things, considerations that go into that, like the talent pool and other um, But even just having a distributed team is is uh, now much more common and almost seen as a strategic advantage. Saying that we have people that are in different cities, um, and you can actually tap into talent pools of multiple places rather than um, a single location.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I used to live in San Francisco, and I just got tired of dealing with San Francisco rent. So I just like (laughs) it's just like so. It's like uh, in theory, I could live, I can work everywhere, anywhere I want. So uh, go by, and that was like you know that was still the beginning of the uh dot-com first wave too so but uh but now it's amazing people just uh it's like lifestyle choices people just uh or uh um just working wherever they wanted there it's actually lifestyle choices where like um i have uh a, a friends who just uh month to month they're just working someplace different around the world and then and only coming home for like the holidays or something like that you know just kind of Kind of doing things, so it's kind of crazy. So
1: that's a dream adventure that I have yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. They have it down to a science now, so it's pretty pretty cool. And actually, one of them started has a new startup where they just they help other companies. Uh, like if you have like uh, like a dozens people or something that for your company, you want to want them to remote, room, work remotely for a week, wow. week or two, so they'll help you coordinate everything. Uh, it's for you because they have the they have the experience now, so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Pittsburgh's great. Uh, cause we know, uh, uh, bearded studios. Um, there's, uh, the, and, um, uh, Matt Griffin did the movie, uh, which uh, what, what comes next to the future or what comes next to the future. And then we have, uh, uh, Brad Frost is there. You have, uh, yes. and yeah. then you have, uh, Val head
1: mm-hmm.
0: up there. So just lots of great companies. And then, uh, and then my, uh, and then my brother's favorite Pittsburgh pirates are there, which is not my favorite but uh but anyway. <laughs>
1: it's so interesting that it's his favorite because i feel like probably haven't been doing a great job of being a good baseball team for while, while he's enjoyed them perhaps i don't know oh. uh, i feel like the last time they were good was when i was like six years old so yeah it's, <laughs> or like super good but i think they've gotten better recently
0: yeah they've been better well also my uh my ribs have decided to stink so it's been yeah pretty, yeah. pretty terrible so Uh, but I digress. So, um, let's talk about the, the, um, you know, you, you went from graph design and now you're, now we're doing product design, which is, you know, web design, product design, which I guess, you know, web apps, is that another name for product design? Is that fair? Yeah. So
1: web apps. And I think I've also worked in native mobile apps, Android and iOS. Okay.
0: So that can, so product design can encompass like native apps. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm kind of like. Uh, my brain sometimes to be totally honest is just like we went from designing websites and then all of a sudden became product design and I'm like, I have no idea what product design is. So just like,
1: Oh yeah. The titles consistently change.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I feel
1: like every couple of years there's a new way to define yourself as a designer, depending yeah. on how the technology has changed yeah. and it can be right. a little maddening. Cause I still don't, there's still like people who say they're UX designers versus interactions is like there's so many different nuances, and there's like a million medium articles about right. the nuances in each one of them.
0: Yeah, I have no idea what UX design is, but that's like the coolest title lately that I've I found. So I'm gonna like just yeah. grab that one because I feel like it's the coolest one.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Uh, and also, I still have thought leader. I just gotta use it just cause. Yeah. I'm leading by thoughts. That's what I'm doing. Uh, because I tell my brain to do something, my brain tells my body to do something. I'm I'm, I'm leading by thoughts, guys.
1: Exactly. So. <laughs>
0: So, uh, yeah, so uh, so so going back to craft design, product designer, web apps, uh, native apps, um, and now uh, uh, we're at the the bot conference. that was here in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. um, the first you know, bot conference uh, in Austin, Texas that uh, that I know of. Anyway, um, yeah, and uh, it's pretty well. It was all done. It was awesome. Uh, Microsoft was there. Um, uh, Slack was there. Um, just a whole bunch of. All the great companies were there, and so uh, the app that you were talking about, and I, I, I don't know if you talked about it or not, if you were there talking about it, but the app that uh, I saw was it was for an add-on. If you, I'm not sure if you want to explain it, but uh, uh, it was for this app called Burner, which generates fake phone numbers. Mm-hmm. And the app, and I hope this is right, this is like generates a temporary phone number, and then the app is on top of this phone number you give to someone would actually like if someone tries to meet you in a bar or whatever like that and you don't really want to talk to him ever again. It just generates a fake conversation with them and yeah. t- totally just uh ghosts them, I guess. Yes. And it's actually called ghost. Is that what it is?
1: It's called ghost ghost, bot. Yeah. Ghostbot.
0: Yeah. Right. So
1: you got that right. It was it's a bot that was built for the burner platform. And they do provide you temporary and disposable phone numbers. So a lot of people Actually, a lot of their user base, um, and specifically women in their user base. Um, though men and women both use it for online dating, we found that there was like a higher rate of women who wanted some level of privacy while they were dating. And so, what burner is pretty. I, I actually didn't know about it when I was dating online, and I like, of course, I find it, and I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I had this. Like just just the burner app, um, because it does like there's some weird thing about giving your physical phone number out or having to actually. Um, be tied to something that you might have to block eventually. And I have friends that I discovered that I had friends who are single and were dating online. They were like, Oh yeah, I use that. And I was like, Oh weird. Like I I didn't realize. Um, but so it's used and they use it specifically for online dating and so a lot of their users uh use it for online dating and it's just an extra privacy layer so you don't have to give out your physical phone number um their app is really cool like you can burn your phone number and so you get rid of it and so it's no longer attached to your account so if someone tries to text it it won't those texts won't get channeled to your account um and and then you can generate a new one, so you can start giving out different phone num- a different phone number um, to people. Uh, and so we decided to build Ghostbot, and really like as we were, it was a, it was a an idea born out of a hackathon, an internal hackathon that Burner had held, and it was one of their designers who wrote a script, just envisioning like what type of interaction it could be that has a ghosting bot, and there. Um, you know, like even combating like inappropriate pictures that are sent just unsolicited, um, which I had never really experienced. um, And I hadn't really experienced a majority of like the extremes that were happening while I was online dating personally. So it was for all of us, it was really interesting. Um, First of all, like their designer kind of painted this picture of like what could be in this ghosting bot. And then we were... Um, tasked with kind of building the bot that would live up to this you know this kind of uh this scenario and um and so we dove in and like started investigating like what was actually happening in online dating because like I personally had an experience someone sending me an unsolicited inappropriate photo of themselves and um and And hadn't really just, like, known about the culture. So I asked, you know, of course we ask our friends who are single and are online dating. um, And then we also, like, dug through these online communities. Um, Instagram, there's there's several Instagram accounts, and I think they're all centered around Instagram. Uh, By Felipe is one of them, and Tinder Nightmares. Um, That's just to name a couple. And once you start diving into those online communities, you kind of realize how prevalent the issue is of little like uh and these are conversations that aren't just happening via text their conversations are happening in like the tinder app or in the um okcupid app um and they're conversations that like are just like harassment you know they end up being uh uh harassment and there's like crazy amounts of it and as i started like asking specific questions to some of the people that we knew that were online dating like do you ever experience like have you ever experienced something like that like everyone was like, Oh yeah. And then as I was thinking back to my experience in online dating, I was like, Oh yeah, I certainly received inappropriate messages. Like I never engaged with the person who sent those, but, and I had never gone on dates with them, but I certainly had experienced them at least initially. And so, um, and so we kind of focused, so there we like, we built the bot to focus on specifically on communication like that. And especially communication that was really aggressive. So the scenario that we were kind of optimizing for was, uh, a, you know, someone who went on a date with uh, maybe one or two times with another person and they, uh, you know, they weren't interested any longer. So, Um, or maybe that person had just been inappropriate or they just knew that it wasn't someone that they were ever going to want to be with. And so they turn, or maybe they started texting them and were inappropriate. And so they just turn them on to ghost, turn on ghost spots. So now when this person texts them, that person will receive a response. And, um, the natural language understanding model that we built was, um, and was built to actually try to find certain responses, um, like, uh, insults and um, bragging and um, nagging and mansplaining. And, you know, there were like several things that we were specifically focusing on this like aggressive idea. Um, we never actually built in like the image recognition of blocking inappropriate <laughs> images. Right. That's maybe a next generation um, and a little bit more of a tech, a harder technology problem to right. solve. Um, but we, we basically were like, you know, the emotional baggage of having to experience messages like this in right. real life is, um, and what you see on these online communities is that there's like a can't win situation. If you try to be diplomatic and just say, or like just straightforward and like say, Hey, I'm not interested. Um, or if you try to, uh, you know, just be kind of passive and respond slightly, like then kind of more abuse comes almost in a lot of situations it it, it will come no matter what. Right. And so instead of having to say like oh i need to like look at this and worry about this emotionally i'm just going to like turn it to uh, turn it on to something else and you'll still be getting responses but i don't have to actually see or think about any of those responses. Um and then eventually like the responses are kind of um set at different intervals so it's not it's supposed to kind of mimic norming like a a random texting behavior um and uh and then if anything gets you know way aggressive or vulgar we actually just block the user and so we do like a normal just like we're blocking you and you can't mm-hmm. you can't any longer like you're not getting any notifications or seeing any amount of the conversation and that person has been
0: so so, so there is an endpoint, like there's an end point like is is there like um there's several vectors that you explained that was going on. Like you have uh you know the <laughs> vectors being put nicely by like things women have to deal with, right? Uh, like mansplaining, uh uh you know, negging and all that stuff like that. So there's several things of speech patterns that you researched in terms to uh not combat, but to uh uh I guess combat would be a way to say it, but to uh
1: to respond. respond to, to respond
0: appropriately, yeah. right? Uh and then does that you know, is there a Natural endpoint that you like a funnel to an endpoint that you have like for ghosting, or is it just like only if someone says like it's very vulgar? Is there like a quick endpoint like I'm blocking you or or something like that? Because I'm just curious. Because like if you are um like like how like I guess my question is like how long do you keep them on the string until you just cut yeah. off? Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. We had talked about that. We weren't totally sure what to expect. Um, our, I think our initial idea was that, like, surely people will get the hint if you're continually <laughs> avoiding, and, like, they'll just stop texting because, inevitably, that's what you're doing when you're ghosting anyway, is that you're kind of either non non-committal or you're just, like, not talking to them, and then, like, eventually they just stop trying. Um, and that's the way to, like, not deal with, or to deal with not dealing with someone else um, and their need to get in touch with you. Um, but... So when we like, uh, and we're still within like kind of the initial design, we haven't made any major updates to GoSpot. But we thought like, okay, people are going to get the hint. And that was our like hypothesis going into it. And we really had no idea what to expect. And it seems like there, a lot of people are, from what we see, like, on behavior, is a lot of people are getting the hint and just stopping communication. Um, but there are people who are still, like, on the string, so to speak. And it to them, it just seems confusing or it actually seems rude. Like, Ghostbot is actually being the rude person in right. the, that scenario. Right. And, like, that's – it's certainly not intended to just create, like, more emotional baggage for other people. Like, that was – Something we were trying to avoid, and I think as we update, we're going to consider like just ending, you know, like it kind of having like a spike where it just kind of will engage in conversation and then eventually stop responding altogether, um, and kind of increasing the interval at which the responses even happen, so that like it seems less and less interested. Um, and those were like decisions that we made both both because we didn't have great data or information to back up like exactly what behavior would need which um would need you know what like solution and and then also just from a technical perspective it was like this is an mvp product we're we're just going to put it out there and see what happens um for some of those decisions so we'll um we have we have several things that we want to iterate upon um, as we move forward and make Ghostbot less uh you know, a little bit smarter about how it handles those situations.
0: Okay. So yeah. And so you said like, it was like a hackathon you put this together, right? So it's just not like,
1: well, the original idea was born out of a hackathon. Um, but no, we, we built this over. It was a really, it was pretty fast. It like the majority of the build took about four weeks. Okay. Um, and so it, it was something that we were getting out. Okay, pretty quickly. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Okay.
0: And by MVP, meaning the most minimum viable, viable product, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, I didn't, I don't feel like MVP, like most valuable product or something like that. Are there plans to go back and do a 2.0 or, or is it just it's working and you don't need to go back?
1: Um, there's no plan set. We have some other projects that we're working on with Burger. Um, So we have, like, kind of shifted some focus and are currently in stream on some other things. And we are doing some general, like, bug fixes and other things like that. And we want to propose to, like, go back and do some of these little tweaks and basically just go in and estimate, like, you know, kind of what the effort will be to get these kind of optimizations in. Um, So it's certainly on our plate, but, you know, it's always a conversation to be had as, like, Mm how many users do we have? Like how, how much do, are we continuing to market it and support it? And what is the general strategic game plan for GoSpot generally? Um, is not like, it hasn't been a conversation that we've, uh, had.
0: Uh, I mean, getting feedback from people who are using it and, or have data data about, it's effectiveness.
1: Yeah, we have some data, but, um, it's kind of difficult because the end user, like the, our actual like burner users, Mm -hmm. um, their like, their data is going to be much different than the person who's actually on the other side of the conversation. So we certainly have been tracking several things and look and monitor like it, the general the amount of conversations it's having, what it's saying, what it responds to. Um, and we had been doing some training previously. Like we trained it a bunch after it was released to kind of help optimize the natural language understanding and based on actual. Um, actual use of the of the bot but um, we haven't done any like specific interviews with burner users about their experience with it okay. um, our hope is that for them it's like they set it and kind of forget it right yeah. <laughs> like they don't really have to worry about it after that point
0: right exactly and so that's that's pretty awesome like i feel like um just want to see if if that's the actual you know they're happy with that. Yeah, so in terms no of, big
1: issues have come up. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. So <laughs> that's some weird West World issues like that, where something goes crazy. No,
1: yeah. has so. spawned and <laughs> is um, like making its own decisions. Yeah, exactly. I, that'd be pretty hilarious. But no. Yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, it make, instead of like getting rid of someone and just makes a date for you. You're like, oh my yeah. god, no.
1: Yes. Yeah. It <laughs> actually agrees <laughs> um, to. Uh, a thing. <laughs>
0: That'd be uh, um yeah so but yeah i think this is just such a great idea. i mean it's like it's a cultural sensitive issue and solves a great problem and it's just a great use of technology that i thought like it was just like it checks a lot of check marks in, in my mind about like technology and solutions and uh and uh and uh cutting edge and stuff like that. so that too i felt like uh just it was a really great job i just like want to pop and learn more about that so it was really great thanks sir
1: awesome Thanks. yeah
0: i think it's just it's phenomenal think
1: yeah i mean it really got us interested in what like the idea of like a personal bot mm-hmm. is and like i talk about it, i don't know if you've heard like heard some of the other discussions around personal bots and uh, people were talking about bots that like embody you and represent you um and like kind of are your your digital agent
0: like an avatar but, out there
1: yeah exactly and um uh and when I was giving my presentation, I talked, I, I did talk about ghost but I also talked about like the idea of how it fits into this idea of personal bots and how you can hire bots to do very specific tasks for you. And like, that's kind of what I envision, but like a lot of bots, um, being really valuable in the consumer space is uh, what specific tasks are bots well built for and how does that help? humans in their day-to-day struggles and what will humans hire bots to do as consumers and so like there's tons of great applications in the enterprise space and um and so we thought this was a really interesting opportunity to take a look at like what specific tasks um might a human want to automate and how can we do that and obviously there's like there's so many um there when you look at that and a lot of them are really difficult problems to (laughs) solve uh, but this one came up and it, it was solving like a real issue. And it was also very like, yeah, it was kind of exactly in the right like space of culturally, it's talking about a thing that ghosting is a new way of interaction that uh, I think people that are, you know, maybe millennials and older and probably the lower end of millennials are, are a little bit more, uh, cool with ghosting. Like, it's no big deal. It's just like, yeah, that's, it's whatever. Like, there's so many people I talk to and there's so many dates you can get on Tinder. Like, yes, I may have met that person, but like, it's a, like, it's a throwaway relationship. And like, I think that that's happening a lot more. And so people aren't, ghosting is just an idea of like a cultural Mm -hmm. thing and in the way that we communicate, I think was a great way way that it coincided with the idea of bots and the way bots are kind of revolution revolutionizing the way we communicate as well. Or at least will be. Um, Maybe not for the average consumer right now. (laughs) Do they think that bots are revolutionizing their communication? But I think maybe in five years that will be the thing that people are kind of reflecting back on and, and saying like in the same way that we reflect back on Facebook right. um, or at least I reflect back on Facebook and remember when they introduced the news feed um, right. that people in the future will be like, Oh, I remember the first bot I ever hired to do a job for me and or hired to manage my communication. Right. So. Right.
0: Is it, um, so any there any bots or ideas that from the talk about conference at that, that you thought was like really awesome or it does hit there was that hit, like that hit, hit the home run or something like that. Or, sorry for the sports metaphor. But
1: yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, so I think that it, we heard about like a lot of interesting bots. Um, the Ola bot, which was, um, uh, which was a bot that uh, um, Esther Crawford had, uh, was talking about was her ideas like a bot as a personal um kind of a personal embodiment of you, but the way in which that they were going about building that in like a very gamified quiz, like kind of have my bot interact with someone else's bot in order to gain knowledge about each other and really being like a, a fun medium for people to play with. Um, and so I don't think that they've actually released it as a product um, yet, or if it has, that may be somewhat recent, but uh, they're actually, you know, building these bots that are just fun ways to kind of upload information about yourself to it. And then it can start to engage with other people and other bots um, to the point where it's like, Hey, like Lauren answer this quiz and um, she's going to send it out to her friends. And so they're going to see how that matches up and the bots get to manage all of that process, um, which sounds super cool. And just seems like um, maybe not as interesting and I think it's just an interesting way that like we could build a s- whole separate social network, like inside of messaging where it like bots are actually w- doing a lot of the like heavy lifting with communication and you're kind of responding and reacting to yeah. things. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And one of the bots that I actually mentioned during my talk um, mm-hmm. that I thought was a really great example of personal bots was the do not pay bot. Um, mm-hmm. And that bot is helping people like get out of parking tickets. Oh really? So it's just in the UK and I think they did uh n- New York City as well, but basically like there's all these different regulations and bureaucracy around even just parking tickets and like if you parked at a place and you thought that it was okay and it had this type of signage because signage gets so out of date within a city structure you can actually just get out of a parking ticket if you fall within like a certain flow chart of dis- like a decision tree of right. you know scenario okay. and so this this uh, guy actually automated that process for people um, with parking tickets and it just helped people get out of their parking tickets through a bot and they're actually doing that for a lot of other like bureaucratic process processes in I think mostly in europe um but like you could imagine every local and state jurisdiction could benefit from oh yeah um, like a streamlining of process of like hey do i qualify for food stamps and i think even the way that like healthcare.gov has started to do things like very like like small questions when they're intaking you like I see a lot of just web trends that are moving people to a much uh, single task, like answer a single question and get um, feedback about it. But if you can also do that through SMS, so someone doesn't even need to have a browser to be able to accomplish that, that would be that much more powerful to reach a greater like you know a greater amount of the audience right. um and especially the audience that you might want to be targeting ones that may not have a personal computer and might not even have a smartphone um uh though that there there is pretty high coverage of smartphones but uh i think bots can can hit uh, like a like a wider range of people um And so, and then there's like the Abe, Abe was a personal finance bot, um, that was there at talk about, and I've seen actually a lot of personal finance bots happen as consumer bots. And so a lot of what they do is just like automatically analyze your spending and give you information about it. Like, Hey, this is how much money you were spending on gas this month. And this, it was this much, um, higher or lower than the previous month. Um, And you may say like, Oh, weird. Like I maybe have relied on my car a little bit too much. I want to change my behavior or like, Oh yeah, I had to do, I took a road trip. So yeah, of course, like this was a, you know, a out of scale month. So it's kind of elevating pieces of your behavior back to you through just passive monitoring of your various credit cards and bank accounts. Mm -hmm. um, Which I think is kind of like the next evolution of what, maybe what now seems stale in like mint.com like that kind of almost seems like a stale site in some ways like at least maybe my opinion I don't know that a lot of people probably use it (laughs) but uh uh but that like now you have to do less work you don't even have to log in I'm just going to get a push notification to me and it's going to tell me exactly when I did a thing that uh, it seems out of the ordinary
0: Right. Well see that's I feel bad now because like I feel old because like websites are now stale so right.
1: yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah I mean completely biased I think that there's still a ton of you know there's there's still a lot of like in the task of personal finances yeah. there's still a lot of aspects of that that are that is like a spatial task yeah like you physically need to see maybe a spreadsheet and like that's the type of view that you need because you're doing a spatial thing in planning Mm -hmm. and so i don't think that bots replace websites completely because websites give us like a an incredible spatial like canvas to work with and bots what they do are very timely and can be very personalized and have um have a very goal-oriented perspective like whereas the big kind of spatial idea of a website to me is, is very wide open and unconstrained. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of tasks, that's what you need. And for a lot of other things, I think we're finding that bots might actually be a better delivery mechanism than a website that sends you emails every week that you ignore. Um, yeah. and somehow being like, can we get people to not ignore, you know, the bot right. messaging them? Um, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's different modes, and uh, I think bots are just now a brand new mode for us
0: to right. interact with. yeah, I definitely think that there's like a um, you know we, websites growing from like what well, you say like I like guess com mar- marketing communication websites to uh, you know apps now for websites and now we have you know um, bots either in a slack channel or or like Alexa or even text bots right. Uh, you know, SMS bots or whatever like that that uh, there's just going to be another not, not, not a tool in the toolbox to target and market to um, uh, you know to consumers and to our customers where that uh, you know I feel in some ways in the future uh, websites will probably go back to being more brochureware and earning trust than yeah. uh, and saying like oh I could install this Alexa app about whale watching but it could just be a a phishing site, let me go check it up and look it up on the website make sure it's, you know, at least it looks legit before right. I install it and some of that too. So, um, you know, even though it's got like four or five out of five stars on, on Amazon, huh? but uh, but that's kind of where I feel like that's going. So, so I think there's a lot of ingenuity, a lot of creativity happening with uh, bots and I feel like just trying to understand the problems that are being solved by bots is, is really, you know, let's try to, try to, what I get to talk about it was like, what problems are you solving what new problems are solving? I think like, you know, the, the ghost, you know, uh, is like definitely like, it's a cultural solution out there that, you know, that, that a website's not going to fix whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah. So definitely. So pretty, pretty good. But, um, but yeah. And then, uh, but I felt bad. I don't want this, you know, it was a great conference, but the, uh, the bot that I couldn't, uh, they had a coffee bar at the conference yes. and that they had a bot, in order to order coffee, you had to uh, use a bot, which, I mean, you didn't have to, but like, like, and I said, great. And uh, the only thing I could not order through this bot because it's predetermined menu was a black coffee. And I was just like, what? Well, I just, okay, fine. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I think that what was, I think the coffee bar, um it was an interesting bot and it worked well. Like it s- certainly showed you how like ordering food can be streamlined, like not having to talk to human beings. I guess it's like an introvert's dream of like, okay, okay I don't actually have to like go up and talk to a person, which to some people is like, that's, what's ruining society. But um, <laughs> to some people was like, you know, wh- why do I have to have this like fake conversation and interaction with someone, even though like, it's not necessarily going to go further. Um, but, uh, I think the, the, the also, uh, that the particular application of it there wasn't like totally, uh, um, like fit for everyone yeah. i think because the coffee bar was just an espresso machine and so they didn't even have <laughs> the coffee there know, so they right? couldn't offer it so they were like ah we don't even, we're not even brewing drip coffee i know right? uh, yeah. which to me is like oh, okay you you understand that when you walk into like an espresso bar but right. you don't necessarily expect that with like a coffee like i don't know yeah. i think it's part partly marketing and messaging maybe that didn't set the proper expectations.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> yeah i don't know wanna... But, but everything else is great. So, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, cool. it was such a fun conference, and it was cool. It was like great, like the guys who at Howdy who put it on mm-hmm. really want to focus on Austin being a hotspot yeah. for bots and um, uh, like just conversational interfaces. And um, they had a meetup earlier this week on Monday. Oh, it nice. was like first actual meetup that they did, um, and they're going to be doing a monthly thing. Uh, but the presenter at the meetup was. Uh, the CEO of Message.io, who is another presenter at Talkabot, mm-hmm. and he's building—they're—they're uh, they're building a, a translation, a translational layer between Slack bots and everything else on like the enterprise side of bots. Oh, nice! But he says that he actually cited that like Austin has more—he um, has more uh, venture-backed bot companies per capita than any other city, and so. They, you know, they're really interested in, which is really exciting, and it's like a fun thing to know and to also get behind like, okay, Austin can actually be the bot capital. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think selfishly, like, you want it to be there. Again, back to the idea of like a localized community versus a distributed community um it's still fun to have these things happening in, in the town you live in mm. and being able to go to physical meetups and have real human interaction
0: oh yeah definitely yeah I definitely yeah see that. yeah because um my story is I, I used to live in Cincinnati, ohio and um go reds but and uh
1: yeah. another rust belt yes yeah, another
0: rust Belt, <laughs> and uh um and it's oh it's pretty much a prutcher and gamble png uh <laughs> and so uh they wanted a lot of flash developers and designers back in the day. Right. And so I was at, a you know, I didn't know there was nothing for me to go to in terms of web standards or web, uh, building websites and stuff like that too. So I actually go to uh Dayton, Ohio to go to meetups and stuff like that too. So, and that's like an hour drive for people who don't know. It's just like, just go to a meetup and meet people who, who, uh, build websites and stuff like that too. So, and then I moved to Austin, Texas and it's just like, it's crazy. I don't how much, yeah awesome there's
1: like there was like three different meetups happening at capital factory that night and so it's just like this community i mean just generally the technology community is Mm. on fire like you can find any specific meetup that you want which is awesome and can be kind of maddening too when you're like i don't know like as a designer i'm like i don't know i want to go to the mobile meetup and (laughs) the web meetup and um yeah
0: (laughs) crazy so uh lauren it's been great talking to you today thank you so much for your time how can How can people uh, find you on the internet? So
1: my company is called voxable and we're at Mm voxable.io and we build conversational interfaces for other companies and products. So if anybody has a need, they can certainly hit us up. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lauren Gollum and that's just G O L E M the first part of my last name. And, uh, that's my handle almost everywhere. So, uh, any other sites and, uh, places, but I would say Twitter, um, voxable twitter is at voxable v-o-x-a-b-l-e and uh and then also i'll be hanging out at meetups we're going out at austin webbash and um as well as the talk about meetup that happened that i'm sure they'll be doing one in december and uh yeah uh just i think there's several also several slack groups that is a fun new way to interact so Um, You can try to find me on direct messages. I'm usually Lauren Gollum on Slack channels
0: too. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.